thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Today, our guest is Alba, and I'm your host, Jen Winkleman. Alba, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very honored. We're going to square up with our four anchor questions to set our springboard for today, okay? So that first question, who are you? What do our listeners need to know about who you are to make the most out of our conversation today? <laughs> oh boy! I'm sorry, right That's out such of the another question. <laughs> yes, I know. It's like so on the spot. <laughs> um, wow. Well, I guess who makes me? Who am I? I will say, first of all, I'm a partial feminist. I will say, um, I'm a mom as well. I'm a partner to somebody. And I guess I can say that I'm my own self with that makes my own set of rules. And I live by my own set of rules. Yeah. Kind that, of I a think, nonconformist. Yes. I go against, against the river, you will say at times, but I try to play by the rules, but I, I like the challenge of going against the rules and breaking them, but in a safe way, never, never in a bad way. So I guess that would define the bigger picture of who I am. And 
But then I am also a student. I'm also just the girl next door that just came here and is going to share her heart out, I guess. So. So that second question then has to do with ordinary life and extraordinary life. If we look at the spectrum between having an ordinary life and living a life that you think is really extraordinary, where do you plot yours? Oh my gosh. I think I would definitely, I sense that mine is extraordinary, but that's me, how I see and perceive my life. But maybe others might see it. Oh, no it's big not, deal. No big deal. But I think it's how I live my life. I think it's extraordinary for sure. And that's the beauty of it. Who cares about who else, what else people think? It's about how I perceive my own. Is it the um, rule breaking that makes it extraordinary, or are there other things that tip it no. that way? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not only the rule breaking. It's just the way that I've just let go. And just be free and be my own. I think that's what makes it extraordinary that I can just be in charge. And I have a fire that I can just, I need to get it out. So it's a lot of those things that makes it extraordinary in my, in my mind. It just makes it more exciting, more challenging. I'm always trying to challenge myself, so that's huge for me. I'm always like, we gotta go against the fear and just conquer them somehow. Yeah, you're always taking something yes. on. Yes. So in somebody else's eyes, they can't see that. It's me. It's my life. I can only see that. So th that's why, yeah, I have an extraordinary life. It's amazing. You know, it's very challenging, but it's, it's very freaking awesome. How do you define success? Success for me is not material at all. Um, success for me is definitely, I would say success is putting your mindset into conquering a couple steps and trying to make yourself better every day and not let just life consume you all the time and just Keep working on what makes you a better person overall as a whole being, which is, <laughs> I still struggle with it, but that's what success is to me. It's an individual, it can be religious, it can be, I mean, it's just what makes you as a whole person, how to, you, you know, how you actually define, but yet keep working on it step by step every day. It kind of sounds like for you, uh, growth is success. Yes. Like as long as there's this dynamic process happening of growing, you're successful. Yes. Because things to me are just worthless. I believe is the path that you choose and how you live your life and the people that you meet along the way. And yeah. That's, that's success. Even relationships is success for me. How to maintain and have great relationships. Yeah, that is a huge success if I can accomplish that, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so, yeah, I believe is the path and the people just along that. Nothing material. It's just, yeah. So that final anchor question then, 
is what would you say are three events or experiences, things that have happened in your life that you feel have most shaped who you are? She's shaking her head no already. <laughs> well, it's because I can't believe you asking me this question with a straight face, and I'm like, three events? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm an old lady with everything that I have lived and I've gone through, and yet... There is a lot that I've been through that I cannot just narrow down to three. So, yeah, I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Then the th- rule of three is lifted for you, Alba. Well, thank you. You list it as you see fit. Make those <laughs> rules of your own. Thank you. See? That's what I told you. I break them because I can't help it. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's great. <laughs> no, um... So you're saying I have to narrow it down to the three events. No, it doesn't. For you, it does not have to be three. Oh, I, I know. But what you... Yeah. Events or experiences, themes, perhaps, that you feel have most shaped the path of your life and who you've become. That, I have to say, is going to be complicated because... It's so many things that tangle. It's like spaghetti for me. It's just tangle and it has meatballs and all their spices that makes it too hot or just not so hot. I mean, it's just a combination of everything. I would say one of them would be my childhood. That's, that's a big loaded one. Um, my childhood is one. I think I will say another one is uh, when I became a mom. Mm. That was that's definitely a significant other. I think I will say another one is um, when I was adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big one too. <laughs> I think I'm gonna say losing people in my life after making great friendships and just saying goodbye to them due to death. That's a big one, Mm. you know, and, um, and just even now, I mean, where I am in my life right now is definitely another one that has made a big difference where I, yeah, significant to me. How would you describe where your life is right now? In the sense that it's shifting again, I can feel I can feel that I have to grow again. I can feel that I have to make very specific decisions and it's really challenging me, challenging my whole core again, which that's what I love about life. It's just those times that you know you get challenged by life and what am I supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to do from this? Why am I going through it? You know, and I question that and that's how I'm trying to perceive it and then trying to make the best out of it too. And actually the beautiful part is how do I react to the challenges and the curveballs that life throws at me? Yeah. And this part of my life is a big one again. I can You're there. feel it. Yeah. Curveballs like are coming. Oh yeah. And it's a big one and I can just see it coming. I'm like, yeah, it is. So which... Which of those things are you going to tell the story of today? I think I should be a little bit chronological because, uh, chronological, forgive me, um, because I 
I feel like I need to start with the childhood because it's so tangled, everything else. Mm. And I think the childhood would definitely, you can understand me better why I am the way I am because of that is a big piece of it. Okay. So, so let's begin at the beginning. You childhood. Said, it is. Childhood was, <laughs> I think the word that you used when you were listing them off, it was complicated. Yes. Or maybe you said this process was going to be complicated. I think it's both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, tell, so bear with me. No, yeah. Tell us. Um, um, I think my life was, as a child, was okay. I just, but I think the main event that changed everything is when my dad left. So, and I was about around five or six when he left. And the only thing I remember, he was just leaving with his green hat. And he didn't even kiss me or anything. It was just, he left. No, no, even a goodbye. Did you know he was going or is it like, oh, my dad left because he never came back? Um, I think that's where I was. My dad left and he's not coming back. And I just saw my mom crying. So I knew something was not okay. Not okay. Yeah. So that was huge because I just lost this person. And then on top of that, my mom decided to send me away to my aunt, to live with my aunt in the capital of my country. And um, so I, I left my mom. So I grew up with my aunt and uncle. And, and with, all of these things happened at the same time? Very close, yes. Very close together. So I had two laws within maybe a year or even less. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was never explained or told why. She was sending you yes. away? I was, it was not an explanation. So I felt like... Something happened, and now I'm being sent away. Something's wrong with me. Yes, something is wrong. What did I do? Um, And so at that point, I was confused, of course. But then I got used to it. Like any child, you you get used to it, to the new routine, the new people, and you do the best that you can. Start to adapt. Yeah, start to adapt. Um, Sadly, though, my uncle was an alcoholic. And he was very angry. He was very explosive. And we didn't know when he was just going to explode and be really nasty. Um, I recall one time he had a party and I didn't help do dishes from his party. And like one in the morning, he just got up and took a stick and beat us up, me and my cousins, just because we didn't do dishes. Mm. And so that was the unpredictable, unpredictable. he was so unpredictable that it was just, you have to walk on eggshells all the time and very stressed. I was a very stressed child, I will say. Um, Then my aunt... You you say that so matter-of-factly. Like you, it's so interesting because as you're talking about it, you say it just like, these are the facts. Because now in my life, I don't want to see myself as a victim. I want to see myself as a, as a survivor, somebody that, yeah, I went through that, but here I am. I am better. I'm okay. That's not my reality. And it's okay. I'm not trying to diminish what happened to me. No, it was very hurtful. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I'm coming from across 
from a point of view that I want to empower myself. I went through that, but I'm, that's not me. That That is just a sad past. But yeah, but it's not me. It's not who I am now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going through that. I am a survivor. And so I wanted more power to that. Mm-hmm. I really want to feel more power to that. It's, that is important to me. Which is why I agreed to do this because <laughs> I needed to have a voice. And that's huge. Um, so going back to my uncle, very unpredictable. My aunt, on the other hand, she was in and out of my life. She will travel and then she come back and then she will travel again for studying and come back. And so she was not a stable role model for me. But, um, but the thing about my aunt, she always told me that my mom didn't love me. Hmm. So that poison got really into me and I believed it because I didn't see my mom as often. And it was, yeah, feeling the feeling of somebody not loving you is horrible. Oh, especially your mother. Especially, exactly, exactly. And especially when you see your mother living with your sister, and why not me? Why am I not living with my sister and my mom? Why am I here? But there was no ever an answer for that, or even allowing me to even ask that question, feel safe to ask that question. Have you asked that question as an adult? I have. Her answer is, my my birth mom says, her answer is because I wanted a best life for you. But then I ask, but why didn't I want a best life for my sister? Yeah. Um, well, she had a father and he was with me. So that goes back to, oh my gosh, once again, the father figure thing that is gone. And that's what happened to me first. So it must be related somehow to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. His going toppled all these other dominoes that made you not okay. Yes. To stay at home with her. Yes. So that being said, though, um, so that unstable family setup that I had, I live with cousins, of course, and um, and that was very hard because then what happened to me is my older cousin, the older cousin that lived in the house, he was he was definitely um, a perpetrator, and I didn't know about it. Nobody knew about it, and he came after me. And he sexually abused me. And I was just horrified. And I just remember this one time, this one time that I was trying to seek for help and trying to tell somebody that something is happening to me. Mm -hmm. I was taking a nap. I was about nine years old. I was taking a nap. And he came into the room and I was sleeping and... He started doing his nasty things to me, and I woke up, and I screamed, and I screamed, and I screamed, and uh, and then my he left, and my aunt came in. She was home. She was home, and I had the courage to tell her, not the whole truth, but somewhat of the truth, hoping that she would do something. Yes, do something. And I said, though my cousin was here, he was touching my back 
while I was sleeping. I couldn't say what he was really, what he was really doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she didn't do anything. She didn't do anything. There was other episodes that she will, she will leave me with him again. And I will just get on the window and climb it as much as I could and scream to her, please don't leave me. Don't leave me. And I would just cry and beg her through the window. And she didn't even look back. She just kept on walking. Oh, wow. So I didn't know if she couldn't hear me, but I know I was very loud. I'm a loud person by nature. <laughs> you know? So I don't think you could not hear me out, me screaming my heart out, seeking for help. So all those things just told me that A, I didn't have a voice. B, I didn't have anybody to protect me. That was a very, for sure, clear message. And so I just stopped talking. I stopped asking for help. Nobody was listening. Well, and you're definitely, I would expect that you definitely believe it really doesn't matter because when the end of the day comes, you will be left. Yes. Dad left. Mom left aunt left any to anybody that you were trying to lean into walked yes. away and didn't look back exactly I didn't have per se anybody as a rock everybody was just shaky to me I didn't have anybody but um but the worst part was this though I mean he was one time he got me to go into the last room of the house and he undressed me and he was doing again horrible things but this time my aunt came in the room and found us. And I just remember that I was just, every single time he would do things like that to me, I would just look at the wall and try to disconnect my body and try to go somewhere else. So I'm not experiencing what I'm experiencing. Yeah. Dissociate. Disassociate. Yes. <laughs> Escape into the paint or the cracks in the wall. Yes. And I will make pictures and... I would just draw, sometimes make ugly things, sometimes make beautiful things, you know. But at that time, I remember I was making a face and she came in and then my eyes went to her. And part of me was so scared, but yet I was like, <gasps> relief. Yes, she saw, saw it. She saw it. Now she has to do something. But she didn't. And that was the heartbreaking part. What she did is she hit me, she yelled at me, like it was all my fault. And she just barely said anything to him. That was the biggest disappointment. But little did I know, more disappointment was coming. And that was when she called my mother, she told her what happened, what she saw. Then my mom came and I just remember she just washed me, asked me a couple questions. Why didn't you tell me anything? And here I am thinking, nobody's listening. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't say those words. No, of course not. And how old were you at this time? Definitely nine. Mm. It just happened in the transition, eight-ish, eight and a half and nine, mm. nine and a half on that, around that time. So, um, 
what I feel is very heartbreaking in this situation is that after all of this came out in the light, my mom still left me in that house. She still left me with that guy, living with that person. Walk away, don't look back. Yeah. She walked away. So I think my self-esteem hit very, I went to rock bottom. I didn't have anybody. I didn't matter what happened to me. Mm. I didn't have anybody to protect me. That was very clear and even more clear. And it was more reassuring that what my aunt was telling me that my mom didn't love me. It was very true. I didn't believe she loved me. How could she? Right. Yes. With what you were experiencing, like the love doesn't fit with that. No, you don't do that with people you love. No, you don't. But she did. And my aunt just kept on traveling and I was still living with this guy. Did it continue even after your aunt discovered the two of you or did that scare him? Sadly, it did continue, but not with me. I, because of the things he would do to me, I knew his pattern and I knew the times that he would do things. And I saw it, that he would do it with other people living in the house. Mm-hmm. And, but I couldn't do anything for anybody else. You were just trying to survive. Oh, exactly. But I felt guilty once because there was a child in there, but I just didn't want to be with him. And I told myself, this is not my responsibility. I, I can't be around him anymore. I need to move away. I just, it was too many hurtful memories. Well, and how could you be the rescuer of that child when there had been no rescue for you? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that part of my childhood definitely broke me. And shatter me to pieces. And I just, to be honest, I don't know if I would have survived if I didn't go to the school that I went. I was blessed to go to a, a Catholic school. Not that I'm Catholic now, but it helped me to at least think that God loved me or at least somebody loved me. Because mm. I didn't feel like anybody else did. And, and I didn't, I think that pieces, all those pieces, uh, made me struggle with friendships, even in school too. I eager to have a best friend. Oh my gosh. I eager to have sleepovers or anything or just play. And I was not allowed to play like your regular children. I was incarcerated. They just wanted me to be inside and I just look through windows. Other kids just really enjoying getting dirty and playing and giggling that was not for me. Why do you think they didn't let you play? I don't know. I don't know. But it's just the sad thing is that even nobody took a lot of time to teach me a lot of things. Like even the cousin that sexually abused me, he's the one that taught me how to ride a bike. Wow. In a very negative way. Because it was not a good thing, but he's the one that actually taught me how to ride a motorcycle. 
So there was not a lot of teaching in one-on-one. There was not a there was not a healthy nucleus overall, let's face it. It was very dysfunctional, discombobulated, and it felt like I was just there, like a ghost. That's so sad. That's so sad. It is, but at the same time, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that also. So, like I said, I survived it. I, I, I survived it. I did pretty well. I wonder if that's part of the reason that growth is so much success for you. Yeah. Like earlier you were describing how, you know, just moving forward and having like something dynamic happening in your life means that you're at a place of success. And your childhood is this period where really the the big people around you who love you should be pouring into you and helping to develop you. And instead you were being hurt or totally neglected during that time. Totally. So there's an interesting parallel there for why growth is the definition of success for you. It is now, yes. It wasn't before, I will say. But everybody goes through stages. But definitely, I think it's just recalling my childhood. It has definitely, I see that more clearly. Growth is really important to me to keep on challenging and grow as much as I can. So you talked a little bit about linking a few of these themes together and you said you were going to go chronologically. So what thread do you pick up from? I think I'm going to have to pick up my adoption. That's, I think that's next. Um, so I was living with my aunt and uncle until I was about 14 but in that transition, I met, I met my, <laughs> I met my adopted mom. Uh, my aunt, she has gone to uh, Boston for school, so she met people in there, and uh, so she has some connections, and they will come and travel to my country, and you know, just stay with us. And some of them were Doctors Without Borders, you mm-hmm. know, nurses, and all of that. So I got used to seeing all these Americans coming in, you know, for a visit, for a visit. And then this time this lady came in and I was like, just being me, you know, because even though I've been, I've been through so much, I think I was a child that I was just love to dance, love to be happy. And I just really want that. And I think that came through when she met me. And somehow she said she she fell in love with me and I didn't know it. But uh, I just remember she having diarrhea, not feeling well, and I didn't know a lot of English. And I'm like, I don't know how to help her, you know? (laughs) So traveler's not doing very well on her visit. I know, I know. And I'm like talking about chickens, thinking that I was saying kitchen. And, you know, it was just ridiculous things like that. But... Somehow she and I connected. It was just a connection. But I didn't feel it as much because I never had anybody being a rock for me. But she felt it. I just felt like, you know, I like this lady. She's a white, nice lady. (laughs) You know? I love how white comes first. She's a white... She's white. <laughs> well, I'm pretty brown myself. Well, you're so everything about you is colorful, and so 
<laughs> makes I, sense. Yes. I mean, yes. Um, and so the way that it came about, it was, um, she asked my aunt if I would be interested in going, coming here for a year and just experience the culture and experience, you know, just travel here and maybe study for that year. Mm-hmm. Like exchange student. Yeah. It was an, she was planning on that. A foreign exchange student. That was her plan. That's what she told her husband too, which I think she had other thoughts, but she didn't explain those to him <laughs> yet. <laughs> um, and so what happened is she, they asked me and, and when they asked me, I was like, oh my gosh, I get to go to Disney. This is so amazing. Yes. Sign me up. I didn't have anything to lose. I didn't have a mom. I didn't have anybody mm-hmm. that I was attached to. I was not attached to anybody. So I said, if I can go somewhere else for a year that I didn't have to see this guy, didn't have to see a reminders of all these things mm-hmm. and go see Mickey, mm-hmm. it's like a dream come true, you know? So I say, yes, I came in here, but oh my gosh, once I was here and I was in this setup, your perfect setup, a home, a mom and a dad, role models, you know? And so I asked my mom, can I call your mom? Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was very excited about it. And I was like, okay, good. And because I was like, I never had anybody to call mom. This is awesome. Here I am, a young teenager, and but then this guy here, just my dad to be, um, he was speaking too fast. I could never understand him. But I always could understand my mom, even when she spoke with her hands and gestures and very simple English. And that was amazing to experience that. But at the same time, that structure made me safe enough to tell them, this is what's happening to me back in my home. <sighs> that brings up a lot for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But in a beautiful way, though, um, because she right away tried to get me help and she never shut me down or she actually opened her ears and she was listening. Somebody for once was listening to me and trying to help me out. And that was, that was extremely new for me. Yeah. I, I'm like, oh my gosh, is this serious? <laughs> Are you for real woman? But she was. She was for real. And I think the trajectory of us working together with that and she just asked me, you know, I know your situation and back home and I know you don't live with your mom. How would you feel about us being your family? What a question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll throw you for a bit of a loop. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because I come from like, I don't deserve anything. I, nobody sees me. Nobody hears me. I'm like invincible somehow to everybody to being part of a family member are you nuts oh my gosh so that was that was yeah that was loaded that was very emotionally loaded for me in a lot of ways and um i would say though i i didn't hesitate telling her yes because i was dying to have a mom and dad 
like dying. I was not sure about my dad though. I just, it didn't feel like she really communicated enough for him. I don't know. And maybe he wasn't ready or so I was questioning that piece, but it didn't matter because at least I knew I had her. Yeah. You were taking the chance that I, yes. even if it didn't feel a hundred percent with him, it's like too bad. Here we go. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry for you, but she loves me and I love her. And, but don't get me wrong. Eventually I, I got to love him and I, he got to accept me as well. And that's when we clicked. So they are the biggest piece of my life because I never had a rock and they eventually became my rock. But it took me 10 years to know that they were my rock. It took me 10 years to give them my full trust. It took me 10 years to really, 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 really know that they really love me. So you talk about coming to the U.S. as a teenager and that when the opportunity for a family was offered, you were like, yes, I'm in, I'll take it. Yes. But there's like a big but. Oh, I know. Right? With that, (laughs) where where you didn't really, you, you were taking the family that was being offered to you, but you actually weren't really able to take it in for a decade. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Fear of losing people. Fear of people just not listening. Fear of people, again, not caring, not protecting me. If my biological family couldn't do that for me, how do I expect these strangers to give me that? Yeah. That was too much. That was too vulnerable. The idea, the idea that I had in my head, mm-hmm. oh, yes, the so desire to have that, but not necessarily... How, how it went down, <laughs> that it didn't go down that smoothly. No, it was extremely bumpy and it was extremely hard. So it wasn't 10 years of cruising and then you got to that place of oh, no. accepting it. No, I, I, I definitely, I pushed the boundaries with them. I pushed the buttons. I made my dad cry for the goodness sakes. That's a man that is so Norwegian. He doesn't cry. You don't make him cry that often. So I know I cracked him when I saw him crying on the floor and my mom was locked in a room and she was not talking to anybody and the whole house was just horrible. Yeah. It was, it was very, very, very hard. Were all 10 years that way? That intense? No. What's, that was at the beginning. Very intense. But... The thing is, I, I, what I think we saved us is counseling. Counseling and my mom being so stubborn and persistent and never, never said to me, I'm done with this, giving up on me. That, to me, that was huge because I pushed the envelope so many times, but she never said, I'm done with you mm-hmm. or I'm sending you back. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that she would send me back because that's what everybody does. They get rid of me. Yeah. When's the walking away and not looking back going to happen? Exactly. Yeah. But this woman did it and she made me mad and I didn't know why I was mad at that because <laughs> it's what you want. Exactly. But I was fighting the system because I was thinking 
you know, what am I going to do to make her just stop caring for me and send me away and not care? Well, because it's inevitable. Yeah. Right. I mean, not that it is inevitable, but that it felt that way. Like, exactly. It did feel that way. And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. She, that woman is stubborn. I can't tell you how stubborn she is. And I'm so glad she is. I'm super excited she is. Because if it wasn't for that, I would not be here. I mean, she was like, okay, I'm done with this situation being the way it is. I'm seeking help. And that's what she did. She got on the computer. She was just, we're doing this. We're helping you out. We're helping us out. And we're going to seek answers. And we went through a string of um, doctors and a couple visits to the hospital. You know, because I was very trying to work a lot of the pain that I was going through that... There were really sad moments in my life that I was very depressed and I was suicidal. And I did try to commit suicide twice and I had to get submitted and because I just felt like I was not worth it. I, I was not, I was not meant to have this. It was too good to be true. You know, it's going to disappear anytime soon. That fear, I was always there, always there. So, but, um, but as we start working and, you know, on my issues and trying to have a voice for me and actually have somebody that can just be there listening and want to just protect me. Even though it was wonderful to experience, it was scary at the same time, but yet I felt like I was definitely in a place that I was meant to be also. I was meant to have these people in my life to hear me out, to help me out. This is where we'll bring Alba's story to a close for today. And I hope you'll join us for the next installment of this three-part series for Alba, where we get to take a look at what happens next. How did she go from the turmoil and fear that she experienced in her childhood to being really rooted in her adoptive family in the United States? Listen in next time. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears, and we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, Please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess 
jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot alliknow at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen, for all of us here at the show, reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>